want to ask you a very important question. How much does the gospel mean to you? You know, we can ask ourselves the question, you know, how much does your soul mean to you? And we can look at scriptures, like in Matthew's account or in Luke's account, and we know that the soul is priceless, right? But how do you view, not your soul, but the gospel? It's almost like asking the question, how important is the soul of another person to you? Not how much is your soul worth, but the soul of another person in how you treat them, in how you speak to them, in how you talk to them about the Lord. How valuable is that to you? And so this is a very, very important question. Are you willing, as a result of the gospel, to do things you normally wouldn't? All for the sake of the gospel. There's a lot of people say, you know, this is the line, and I'm not passing this line because, and then you fill in the blank. How much are you willing to do because of the gospel? Things that are well beyond your comfort zone. How far would you be willing to go for the sake of the gospel? Now, I ask these questions because I know we all have limitations. Julie doesn't like when I pick on her. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I can't help it. I was born this way. No. <laughs> she said, Mitch, you go everywhere you want to. Not Alaska, please. <laughs> so cold. or Not the Amazon. So hot. And I don't know Spanish. <laughs> yeah, how far are we willing to go for the sake of the gospel? And she'll tell me straight up, very honest. She said, I want to be able to go to Alaska. I want to be able to go to the Amazon. I'm just not there. And that's understandable. We all have our limitations. That's a part of our growth in the Lord. But as a mental exercise that hopefully translates into our walk with the Lord, how far are we willing to go because of the gospel? Are there even things you're willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? You see, when we go back to the reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it is often that we look at a passage, particularly in verses 24 to 27, and we talk about our walk with the Lord and that everything we do, we talk about running with endurance. We do it with just great zeal, great gusto. And I'll tell you what, it, my mindset, I got to meet Joshua on Wednesday last week and I think he had heard a little bit about my past. The first thing goes, you want to go in the parking lot and wrestle? <laughs> That's the first thing I heard him saying. But he had heard that of my past. Well, one of the things, you know, when we talk about doing from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, is that mindset of whatever you're going to do. In my mind, whatever it is, I want to be number one. That's always been my life. Look at verse 24 through 27 and see if that's the attitude that you have. And then we're going to see if maybe we sometimes use this text maybe a little bit broader than what the Apostle Paul was talking about for the sake of the Gospel. Paul says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in the race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it for an a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not as one with uncertainty, thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to others... I myself should become disqualified. 
We are talking about doing things for the sake of the gospel, and this is the attitude that we should have for the sake of the gospel. And so if you're committed to doing all things for the sake of the gospel, then you are serving the Lord just like the Apostle Paul. And I like to think that many of us, we think highly of this servant of the Lord. That's the way we should live our lives. What I'm wanting us to do is to see if we can follow that very commitment that he had as an example for our lives today. Now, I want you to look at some of the things the Apostle Paul had done, the example that he sets for us today in how we should live. And think about it from a standpoint of how you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ and how you look at people who are in this world with all the different backgrounds that they have, all for the sake of the gospel. Think about that. When you look at verse 19, Paul said very clearly, he was free from all men. And when you stop and consider the point that he is trying to make, he says, I am free from all men. One of the great things that I love about serving the Lord is, he's going to be my judge and you're not. And I'm thankful for that. I mean, really, I am. Because some of you judge pretty harshly. Some of you judge way too leniently. But the Lord is perfect in His judgment. He's perfect in His grace. He's perfect in His mercy. And I stand before my God as judge over what I do in service to the Lord. You're not going to stand before me as my judge. Now, you may judge me nonetheless. And I judge you as well. I judge in my mind whether I think you're faithful or not. I do that. And you do the same thing toward me. You judge whether or not you say, well, Mitch, you preach way too long. Or Mitch, you preach way too short. Mitch, you're too short. Period. <laughs> Fortunately, I have sons who think I'm pretty big. <laughs> so, but I know for a fact, I stand before you knowing you're not going to judge me when, when the day comes. And I am grateful for that, and you ought to be grateful that I'm not your judge as well. Because I will misjudge you. At some point, I will. Paul made it very clear. I am free from all men. But he also made it clear that if he's going to be from uh, clear from all men and free from all men, that that is the case for every brother and sister in Christ because God called us to be free. He called us as such. In fact, when he begins this section of the letter, he makes it very clear of that as a case. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And my defense to those who examine me is this. If you're going to judge me, here's my defense before you. I'm free from you, but let me make my case. He said, my defense to you is such. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Remember when, when Jesus came along? What did people think of Jesus? He's a wine bibber and a glutton. Before him, John the Baptist, what did they say of him? Just the opposite. Look at what he eats. Look at what he wears his clothing. Look at how he lives his life. Look, can't win for losing. No matter how you stand before men, they're going to judge each and every one. Paul is saying, 
Do we not have any right to eat or drink? And he makes it in this context of the, the being supported by his brethren. He goes on to say this. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? You know what we do? We, we say, well, we'll support that preacher, but I don't know about his wife. Ah, that money could be better used. <laughs> Maybe some other apostles were being supported. But Paul and Barnabas, Paul was not married, but if he had been, Maybe it means or implies in the text that Barnabas had a believing wife, but brethren wouldn't support Barnabas through her, if you will. Do we not have a, lot, uh, a right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Now, these other gospel uh, preachers, if you will, these apostles that preach, they don't have to work. We'll support them. But Paul, I don't know about you. You're going to have to work. And so he goes on and he makes it clear that even though I am free from all men, I know I'm free from all men, and you're going to judge me, and they have been judging him. He says, you know, they could have supported him financially. Paul worked. Could have taken along a believing wife had he had one or if Barnabas had one, whatever the situation was, no matter what that situation where they judged me said, even though I'm free from you, I've become a slave to all of you. Or as given in the text here, I am a slave to all men. I've made that a voluntary choice in my life. Again, when you look at the text in verse 19, though I am free from all men, I have made myself, I have chosen to be slave to all that I might win the more. Now, what a great attitude. I remember there was a congregation I had joined myself to, um, and after a while we had a Bible study, and it, and it was on a passage similar to this. And I was saying, you know, there are times when we ought to be able to give up certain things that we have a right to exercise, a right to practice, a right to believe. But it may not be helpful. It may not be edifying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Someone came up after the Bible study and said, but you have it all wrong. When you start doing that, everyone's going to run over you. That's the way of the world thinking. This is a brother in Christ saying that. Listen, if being run over means that soul will be saved, it's worth it to me. Is it worth it to you? There's a lot will say, of course not, it's not worth it to me. I have my rights. And I remember that right actually being exercised by two older brethren, both in their late 50s, early 60s. And one says, you know, you can have this uh, multimedia projector, and, uh, or, or at that time, overhead projector, and I have liberty to use it. And I'm going to show you I have liberty to use it. And the other brother says, now, when we start doing these things, the Lord's church is going to go by the wayside. And the one that had the liberty said, I'm going to use my right. And the one that said it's wrong just huffed and puffed all the way home and both fought and were divisive all to the detriment of the Lord. Neither were looking at things for the sake of the gospel. And that's very important that we understand. Paul serves as an example in that he did all things for the sake of the gospel. In fact, he says in the next following verses, to the Jew I became as a Jew. Well, first of all, wasn't he not already a Jew? He was born a Jew. He was a Pharisee, right? 
But what he's saying is, I'm a Christian. I serve Christ. And as a result, while I am free from all men, no man will judge me. I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And so therefore, to the one who was a Jew, who lived as a Jew, who thought as a Jew, who spoke as a Jew, I became as a Jew. That those Jews, some of them may be saved by way of the gospel. As an example, look at Acts 16. Look at the text here. And you will see not one, but two individuals doing things for the sake of the gospel. Both a babe in Christ and one mature in Christ. In verse 16, it says, I mean, in chapter 16, verse 1 of the book of Acts, it says, Then he, that is, the Apostle Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So here, Jewish mom and Greek father. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So his reputation had spread in this region. And it says Paul wanted to have him go on with him as he was making his, his missionary trip, if you will. And it says, and he took with him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Alright. Paul had him circumcised. Both his parents were not Jews. One of them was Greek, but one of them was Jewish. You know that there would be Jews that says, you have family members that are Jewish. Why wasn't he circumcised? And it would hurt their conscience. It would defile their conscience, even though this young man did not need to be circumcised. The law is done away with, right? But for the sake of the gospel... Knowing that his mother was Jewish, says, let's go ahead, Timothy, and we'll have you circumcised. You know that this young man could have said, well, listen, I'm a Christian. I don't need to be circumcised. I have my right. I don't want to be circumcised. No, for the sake of the gospel, he said, okay. That may be a trivial thing to you, but to the Jews back then, it was not trivial. They believe that circumcision was essential if you're going to be a Jew. And for the sake of the gospel, Paul had him circumcised. By the way, while it's not on this list, you can go to Galatians chapter 2, read the first three or four verses following, and notice Titus was not circumcised. You know why? For the sake of the gospel. Both of his parents were Greek. That no law should be touching these Greeks. That law had been done away with and if he's going to be a Christian, let him be in Christ. He is free from all men. And for the sake of the gospel, the truth was going to be known to all Jews. You're not going to make these Greeks be circumcised and to be baptized into Christ. For the sake of the gospel, these things were done. But notice, he said to the Jew, I became as a Jew. He said to those under the law, as under the law. Well, look at Acts 21. Look at the text here. In Acts chapter 21, remember now, by this time the Holy Spirit had been warning Paul from city after city after city, wherever he went, saying, you go to Jerusalem and you're going to be bound. You're going to be arrested. Agabus prophesied it. Other individuals had prophesied or talked about it. It was warned him by those in Ephesus. And now we come to Acts 21. 
Notice what is being said here. In verse 17, when he came to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, verse 17. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles for his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Many of these Jews believed, and part of that reason was because Paul did things so the Jews would believe. He was not a stumbling block to them. To the Jew, he was as a Jew. Many of these Jews were zealous for the law. Can you imagine being a Jew living under the law and all of a sudden you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? What are you going to do with the law? It's in your blood. You were born with it. Your parents, your grandparents, your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were all Jews that lived under the law. What, a, what an amazing change. Well, Paul said, to those who are under the law, I was as under the law for the sake of the gospel for these individuals. Now, notice the, the recommendation that was given to them. It says in verse 21, but they have been informed about you. These Jews have been informed about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Misinformation, but it's there. What are you going to do about it? They said... That they ought not to, or that you teach that you ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Do you suppose that Titus might have had something to do with this or the situation? Talk about can't win for losing. Paul never taught this, but the rumor was that he taught people not to do these things and, and what have you. You're teaching against Moses. So what then? Verse 22. The assembly must certainly meet. They're coming together for for this great feast. They will hear that you have come. Verse 23, Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them. Be purified with them. Pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that they may all know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Did these Christians need, from a doctrinal standpoint, keep the law? It's kind of one of those yes-no, right? <laughs> doctrinally, no. And doctrinally, yes. Doctrine from the standpoint, they're free in Christ Jesus. There is no law for them to abide under, to live by, to be judged by. But yes, because it would be a stumbling block if they had not kept the law for the sake of these Jews who are zealous for it. They understand things in a way that, that we do today. Do we not have brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord? And one says yes and one says no to the same subject matter. By the way, I believe you can read Romans 14 on something like that. On a subject matter of eating meats. There are many subject matters. I'm looking at one right now. I see some of our sisters in Christ with a head covering. And I see some that don't have head covering. Is it a doctrinal matter or not? Zealous for the law. Both sides are zealous for the law and both sides said, I've come to this conclusion. How are we going to live our lives, brethren? Are we going to live it to edify and build each other up? But some would say, but Mitch, 
We do it because we love the Lord and we keep His Word. Those that disagree don't keep His Word, don't love His Word. We don't do it because we love Him and we keep His Word. It's a hard, it's a sensitive issue, whatever the issue is. There's always brethren that are getting real sensitive about these things. But Paul is saying, I'm doing all things for the sake of the gospel. To those who are zealous for the law, I'm zealous for the law for their sake. What did he do? He kept the vow. That's what he did. Not that he had to, as far as Christ was concerned, but for the sake of those who had obeyed the gospel, he wanted them to continue in the gospel without their conscience being defiled. One more example. To those who are without law, the Gentiles. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. You can look at 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 8, and as well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to make this point. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice what it says here in verse 23 following. Paul says in chapter 10, verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things build up or edify. Let no one seek his own. That's the key. Do all for the gospel's sake. Not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Modern term phraseology in a negative sort of way, you get run over. That's the negative way of looking at it. The positive way of looking at it is, you love your brethren. You love souls who are outside the body of Christ. You do it for their sake. What an attitude. If Christ had that selfish attitude that we have about not being run, um, not being run over, he would never have gone to the cross. He he would have been like us from a fleshly standpoint, save self. Watch out for number one. Instead, he did all things for the other's well-being, ultimate love. That's what we have here. So he goes on to say here: eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience sake. Wait a second. You know what the meat marketplace was, right? The meat marketplace was right next door to the idolatrous temple. You know where they would sacrifice these animals? After they're done with it and the priest did what they did with it, they take the meat and make a profit. They would sell their meat. Paul is saying to his brothers and sisters in Christ in this verse, Eat whatever is sold in the marketplace. But it might have been sold to idols. Eat whatever is sold. Don't ask questions. For conscience sake. Here's the reason why. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. That's why. And if any of those who do not believe, if you have unbelievers who invite you to dinner and you desire to go, if it is your choice to go, first of all, that was a big deal. You're going to go and eat with unbelievers? I thought we were not to have fellowship with unbelievers, with the unfruitful works of darkness. What does Paul say? An unbeliever invites you. Go, if you choose to go. And he says to them, eat whatever is set before you. Ask no questions for conscience sake. So here's some meat. It might have been offered to an idol. That person that invited you may very well be an idolater. But if anyone says to you, verse 28, this was offered to idols, 
do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. They might be seeing what, what, what you're going to do and it may offend their conscience when they see a Christian and the things that he teaches and they see that in, from their vantage point hypocrisy, well, whatever their reasons, don't eat it. And for conscience sake. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. You could eat that meat or not eat it for these different reasons, but you do it for conscience sake. And he goes on to say, conscience, I say, in verse 29, not your own, but the other. At first, it's your own conscience. But now when you're in a relationship with someone else, someone has offered to have you in their home and they're giving you this meat, don't ask questions. But if they tell you it's for a idol, then don't eat it for their sake. Why? Because you're trying to reach them with the gospel. That's why. Go on a little further. Then he goes on to say, for why is my freedom or my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of, of food over which I give thanks? In other words, to the unbeliever, those who were without law, he was as without law. He did all things for conscience sake, even to the weak. You have brethren with a free conscience, a clear conscience, a strong conscience, verse Corinthians 8, and those with a weak conscience. Those that would otherwise have judged their brethren for eating meat that had been offered to idols. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 through 11. He says, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. What solves the problem? Love. That's what he says when you read verse, verse 1 and verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 8. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Brethren, this is Paul speaking, our apostle. That person who patterned himself after Jesus Christ. He did all these things that many brethren said, that's just upside down thinking. But Paul said, I'm free from all men. But I made myself a slave to all, that I might win God. Let's stop and really reflect upon this because all his choices were all directed at saving souls. All his choices. You look at every instance on what he had done. It was for the saving of souls. Now, that doesn't mean all agreed with his choices. Remember when Paul and Barnabas got into it over John Mark? What was Paul's reason? Well, we're not told explicitly, but we might infer the gospel's going to be hindered because of this young man. And Barnabas, that encourager, says, well, listen, come on, give him some slack. He's a young man. Give him a second chance. Both did it for the sake of the gospel. Different conclusions they came to. We're not talking about advocating sin. I hope you guys don't misunderstand the point being made. We're talking about that in Christ, everything in Christ, you have freedom. But in Christ, we're going to have different conclusions. We're going to have different decisions that we make. And some of those are going to be viewed as sinful by others. And we have to discern whether something is in Christ or not. That's for another lesson. We don't have time. Otherwise, I'll be here more than three hours. I can guarantee you that. Every choice was made for the saving of souls. Imagine if we were to do that. How profound that is. Imagine, brethren, if we all lived this way. You know how accommodating we'd be to each other for the sake of the gospel? Imagine how much better we get along with one another. You know what happens when two children want the same crayon? Crayon breaks and everyone cries. 
Sometimes we behave like children. We lose sight of the gospel. But if we do everything according to and for the sake of that gospel, how wonderful and profound our choices are going to be. Whether we work or not, whether we take a believing spouse or not, whether we receive wages or not for preaching the gospel, whatever it was, it was done with others in mind. For the sake of brethren in Macedonia who were very poor compared to the brethren in Corinth who were much more wealthy, you would think he would get his money from the church at Corinth, the wealthy. He refused to take wages from brethren in Corinth that had the means. And instead, to the brethren who are very poor, he took wages from them. That's why when you read the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, how wonderful that was. Why? For the sake of the gospel. The brethren at Macedonia who are very poor wanted to do it. And he did not want to hurt their conscience for the sake of the gospel. And the brethren who are very wealthy, he didn't want a penny from them because of their attitude toward him and Barnabas. And he did that for the sake of the gospel so as not to harm their conscience any further than already. He did it with others in mind. So the question that we have for ourselves is, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to follow after the, the apostle and his way of living? Well, real quickly as we end. If we do everything for the sake of the gospel, now we look at verses 24 through 27 this way. For the sake of the gospel, I will serve with purpose. You know, everyone who competes, compete in such a manner that you may win. I told you, my attitude is, if I'm in a race, if I'm in a checker tournament with a three-year-old, I'm going to win. <laughs> I always ask them, how old are you? It might be two. I said, well, if you're one, I might take it easy. <laughs> Julie says, you're so mean. <laughs> my, my mentality is first place. It's selfish that way, I guess. I just want to win at everything. Well, at serving the Lord. Serve the Lord with, with every ounce of your being. And serve with purpose. That when you make your choices with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with those who are unbelievers outside the body of Christ, you make your choices that will affect their lives for the sake of the gospel. That's how you live. That when you serve the Lord, you serve with self-control. That instead of being selfish, you discipline your body. You make yourself as a, one who is temperate. I remember my choice in, in high school. For my senior year, I would not touch sweets at all during the, the wrestling season, which was for me about six to eight months out of that year. But boy, I tell you when wrestling season was over. <laughs> I could eat those. But self-control during that season. Self-control. You do it for the sake, in this case, for the gospel's sake, not for a perishable crown, but for an imperishable crown. And that means we do things with endurance. That I'm not going to be nice today for the sake of the gospel and tomorrow I'm going to get selfish. We do it in service of the Lord because we are servants of the Lord. And our crown is one that's eternal. Well, then we run that race with endurance. We serve the Lord. We serve our brothers and sisters. We serve man. Remember the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself? You do that for the sake of the gospel.